Hebrews chapter 11. Back up two verses to 10.38. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the souls. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. We'll pause there. We're going to cover more of the chapter than that. But we'll stop there in our reading this evening and start with this passage. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, take your word and drive it deep into our hearts. Dear Lord, help us to recognize the truth of it. And dear Lord... Help us just to believe it because you said it. In this day of rationalization and humanism, liberalism, atheism, help us to recognize the necessity of faith. Not faith despite the evidence, but faith because of the evidence. Bless your word tonight to our hearts in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. This woman woke up early one morning, rolled over to her husband, and she said, I had the most unusual dream last night. He said, really? She said, yes, I dreamed about this great, big, huge pearl, biggest pearl ever formed in the world. It was absolutely incredible. What do you think that means? He looked over at her and he smiled and said, I don't know, but by tonight you'll know what it means. She spent the whole day in anticipation. Her husband's getting her pearls. That night he comes home with a paper bag, gift a bag, and she opens it up and she reaches in and she pulls out a book entitled The Meaning of Dreams. That was not the substance of things hoped for. (laughs) However, if you walk by the kitchen window, back in the old days when people kept their windows open because they didn't have air conditioning, and you smell that gravy and that roast beef smell, you know you still had to go around on the back porch and wash your hands get cleaned up where you could go in to supper, but that was the substance of things hoped for. And when you got in and you saw the gravy on the table, the the meat might not be on the table yet, but that gravy is the evidence of things not seen. And that's faith. Faith. The substance of things hoped for. What is it that we hope for? We hope for eternal life. We have the hope of heaven. In fact, Paul calls it the blessed hope. The blessed hope. 
One day Jesus is coming back for us. And we're going home. We're going to go to heaven with Him. And if you go to Roselawn Cemetery or any other cemetery, you'll see headstones and little plaques on the ground. I don't know what to call those, but you know what I'm talking about. Headstones that don't stand up. They lay down. Okay? You'll see those. And those are the substance of things hoped for. Why do we bother burying people? Because we believe in the resurrection. That's why. Because someday we expect Jesus to come back. And when he does, we'll hear the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So we go to the cemetery and we see the substance of things hoped for. And the evidence of things not seen. But we need to understand the importance of faith. A lady called me yesterday morning, asked me to come by and see her mother. I've known her mother since I was a little bitty kid. They lived across the street from us when we lived on Valentine. Not directly across, but down the street a little. And uh, I went to see her because her mother has two brain tumors. And they're going to operate on her. Already operated on her once several years ago for a brain tumor, and now they're going to operate and try to remove two more. And uh, she's uh, not as young as she once was, not even as young as I am. And uh, so she's pretty old, and uh, she's very concerned. And uh, she just wanted to make sure that uh, she was going to heaven. So we got to talking about it. She told me about when she got saved. Told me how she knew she was saved. Told me about being baptized, following the Lord in baptism. And I said, so what's your concern? She said, well, my concern is that I don't think my son-in-law is saved. She's lived with him for 20 years. Daughter and son-in-law. Daughter saved. She doesn't know if her son-in-law is saved. And she doesn't know if her three grandchildren are saved. They're her other daughter's children. She doesn't live with them, but she doesn't know if they've ever been to church or ever heard the gospel or ever trusted Christ as their Savior. And I thought to myself, how sad. How sad. That has always been my concern. That I would do something that would cause my children... Or my grandchildren not to want to be saved. Because I cannot imagine the horror of standing at the great white throne judgment. Watching your own grandchildren thrown into hell. Your children cast into the lake of fire. Faith is so vital. So important. And faith, in order to be taught, has to be caught. 
I can tell you about faith, but if you don't ever see anybody with faith, if you don't ever see faith demonstrated, then you don't ever know if faith is real or not. It's so sweet to have the assurance that our faith in God is going to provide for our future long term, way on down the road. So comforting. Because when I went to my dad's funeral, went to my mom's funeral, did we shed tears? Oh, sure. Of course we did. Everybody gets homesick every once in a while. When I went to Ron's funeral, did I shed tears? Sure. But you know what? I wasn't crying for them. I was crying for me. No. Because I knew what it was going to be like trying to clean up all Ron's stuff. I'm still shedding a few tears over it once in a while. <laughs> but I know where he is. And I don't have to worry about him. It's not of concern to me. And I know where I'm going. And I know where my wife's going when we die. We're going home. The place we've never been, but the place we were made for. Whoa! You know what happens if you have faith? You can obtain a good report. A good report. That's what it says in verse 2. For by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good report. Now we find that good report not only in the rest of the chapter 11, but we find it in the book of Matthew and the book of Mark and the book of Luke and the book of John where Jesus says that he will speak to people. He told it in parables where the master would give people responsibilities and would leave and he would come back later and they would bring to him what had been placed under their control and those that had known, believed that he was coming back and had used his stuff to bring glory and honor him and to accumulate more stuff for him, he would say to them, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. There's two, two or three important things in that. Number one, the well done is very, very important. I mean, those are the kind of accolades that not everybody gets. Then, a good servant. A good servant. Somebody who knows their position and recognizes that they are not the master. Dylan came to my office. I think I told you Sunday. He came to my office one time and said, Are you the master or the pastor? I said, I'm the pastor. You know who the master is? Jesus. So he hadn't had any trouble with it since then. He knows I'm not the master. Okay? But sometimes God places stuff in our care and we act like it's ours. We treat it like it's ours. We hang on to it like it's ours. And the servant that did that took it and buried it in the ground, keep it safe. And if the master didn't ever show back up, he's going to use it. The master shows up and he brings him that one talent that the master gave him. And he gives it back to him and the master says, what's this? He said, that's the talent you gave me. I knew that you were a, a, a man who, 
who reaped where he didn't sow, and, and I didn't want to take a chance on losing your money, so I just buried it. And the master took the talent and he gave it to one of the other men that had been faithful, that had been a good servant, and he said, get him out of here. Get him out of here. He's not mine. He didn't get any reward. He didn't get any blessing. Wow. And so to be a good servant of Jesus Christ, that's what Paul calls himself in almost every New Testament book he wrote. Every letter he wrote to the church, he said, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Or Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. You say, apostle? That sounds pretty, pretty important. No, an apostle is one that Jesus sent out. Okay? A servant that he sent out. And so here we have, well done, thou good servant. But he didn't just say good. He said good and faithful. Faithful. What's a faithful servant? A faithful servant is one who has faith all the time. Okay? Has faith all the time. This servant always looks out for his owner's stuff because he knows the owner is coming back. Did I feel like coming to church tonight? No. In fact, I messed up big time. I sat down in my recliner. And it leaned back. And I looked at my watch and I said, okay, in exactly nine minutes, I've got to get up, put my shoes on, and leave. And eight minutes later, I looked at my watch and said... I better start early because it's not going to be easy getting out of this recliner. I started swinging my feet. Finally got the footrest to go down. And when that goes, happens, the front comes up. But then I had to stand up. You know? Wow. Put my feet in front of me, close together, grabbed the arms of that recliner, and started pushing. And the rest of my body said, push all you want. You can't lift me. But then my legs got involved, and we got and we got up, you know. So you say, Brother Casey, why are you here if you felt that tired? Because I want to be faithful. You know? I mean, some people believe you're faithful if you go to church on Sunday morning almost every week. You know? But if you show up Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, that's faithful. Okay? That's faithful. Okay? If you work a job five days a week and you show up on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, is that faithful? Well, I, sh- I show up every Monday. And I show up every Wednesday. And I show up every Friday. And uh, what about Tuesday and Thursday? <laughs> you don't expect me to be here every time the doors are open, do you? Well, yeah, there's a lot of employers who do. I don't know what's wrong with them. I, I think they're being unreasonable myself. But, see what I'm saying? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. By faith, the elders obtained a good report. And then in verse 3, he says, through faith. How do we know that the world was created in six literal days? Six 24-hour days. Did anybody see it? 
I wasn't there. Is anybody here? No, none of us were there. However, we have an eyewitness account. Okay? Can you believe what an eyewitness says? If he's the only one that saw it, you almost have to, don't you? Yeah. What did the eyewitness say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And later on he said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and by Him were all things made. Without Him was not anything made that was made. He made everything. So do we believe the eyewitness account? Yeah, that's all we got. But, Brother Casey, what about the evidence that the world is millions of years old? And my question is, how did Adam survive as that little one-cell thing splitting apart without a mother's womb to grow in? You say, well, he didn't. He was created a grown man. Well, duh, we got, God gave us a grown planet for him to supervise. Well, what about the evidence that the universe is billions of years old? What evidence? What evidence? I know a lot of the arguments. I know about the red shift. You say, what's that? Well, when the light comes around a certain direction, it shifts to the red, depending on how far away it is. Okay? And you can estimate age or time by that. Okay? But for every argument, there is an equally believable counter-argument. So, Sir David Otway Ray, who was teaching, he was on faculty teaching quantum physics at Texas A&M when he was 13. Okay. When I was 13, I was teaching, but not on university level. I was teaching my little brothers how to spear frogs down the creek with a sharp stick. Okay. David Ray Ray was teaching college students. And he did a, a mathematical analysis of the expansion of the universe using Einstein's theories. And he determined that the last time the earth, uh, excuse me, the last time the universe was in perfect balance was about six to 7,000 years ago. And he showed it to mathematicians across the world. And they all looked at it. And they said, well, there's a mistake here. And he said, I know. There's got to be a mistake. Where is it? I can't find it. And they said, we couldn't find it either, but we don't like your conclusion. What conclusion? That the fact that the whole universe is about six to 7,000 years old really messed them up. But the evidence is there. Mathematically. God created math. Had I known that in second grade, I would have enjoyed fractions a lot more when I got to third grade. Fourth grade. You know? Yeah. I prayed too, but the Lord only blessed what I studied. <laughs> I didn't get anything through osmosis sleeping on my math book. Uh, didn't happen. By faith, 
We understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Now let me give you the technical term for that, okay? Ex nihilo. E-X space N-I-H-I-L-O. Two Latin words. Actually, Greek words. I think they're Latin, but they came from the Greek. X means out of. Okay? X out of. An expert. Out of a tiny drip under pressure. That's an expert. <laughs> You'll get it later. Or somebody will explain it to you. Okay? Ex nihilo. Nihilo means nothing. So out of nothing. So how did it happen? Genesis chapter 1. Flip over there if you want. Or you can just wait and I'll read it to you. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So, here's the planet. It's all covered with water. Totally dark. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. You say, so? Oh, so? Physicists have discovered that if you speak to water, the molecules begin to vibrate. And they produce little sparks of light. So when the Spirit of God covers the waters and God says, let there be light, they all got all excited. Woohoo! And they lit up. I can't wait to get to heaven. I'm going to ask him to let me go back and watch. You know, I just want to see it. But they've done it in the lab with little, little tanks of water, so they know it works. They know that's, that actually happens. And so the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. They were made ex nihilo, out of nothing. And that's the kind of God I serve. And that's the kind of God I worship. And that's the kind of God I love. Because He loves me. And He loves you. And I don't have any idea why. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but hath everlasting life. Look at verse 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And by it, he being dead yet speaketh. Now go back to the end of verse 3. Uh, excuse me. Go back to verse 2. For by it the elders obtained a good report. And the first elder mentioned is who? Abel. What happened to Adam and Eve? They weren't faithful. They absolutely were not faithful. God gave them a single responsibility. Keep the garden and don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Tree of life was there. They could have eaten it and lived forever. 
But he said, don't eat the tree, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And instead of being faithful, they ate the fruit. And we like to blame them. The blame game. Well, the case is the reason I have so much trouble living like a Christian is not my fault. It's because my great 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 grandpa Adam. He's the one that messed up. Duh. His son Abel didn't mess up. In fact, he offered and got a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. What was more excellent about it? It was what God asked for. A blood offering. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin. Abel wasn't even born yet when his mom and dad sinned. But he knew what sin was. And so he brought a blood sacrifice. And by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. And then he skips to the next elder. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found. Because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Whoa. You want to please God? Verse 6. I mean, nothing like making it simple, is it? Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Is it possible to please God without faith? Nope. So why don't we just do what he says? Seriously, why don't we just do what he says? God says, uh, pay me 10%, belongs to me. And try me, prove me. See if I'll not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so that you'll not even be able to receive. And yet, most of the folks I know give out a little tip. Certainly not 10%. You can't even get by with that in a restaurant. I mean, they won't want to serve you next time. You don't give them at least 10%. And we don't give God what He's due. And then, when things go wrong, we blame Him. Wow. And people who don't tithe often say, well, I can't afford to tithe. And I'm thinking, maybe the reason you can't afford to tithe is because you don't tithe. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And if God's not pleased, why should He do anything for you? He does because He loves you. But He made promises to Israel. He said, I'll rebuke the devourer on your behalf. Well, who's the devourer? One who wants to eat up everything you got. Okay? And he's not talking about teenagers. <laughs> I'm sure. He's talking about the old devil. A little demon who sits under your hood, beating on your water pump. And then you put your tithe in the offering. And God says to the angel, get him off there. They can't afford to buy a new water pump. And so the 
little demon gets out from under your hood and he goes around and starts kicking your tires. And God sees you put your tithe in the offering, 10% belongs to God, comes off the top. And he says, go down there, get him away from that vehicle. They can't afford to buy new tires. Wow. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Yeah, I believe that he is. Do you believe he is? Of course. And that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Do we diligently seek him? Do we walk by faith? Now the just shall live by faith. If we've been justified, declared righteous by God himself, because of the death of his son in our place, then we can live and walk by faith. We just trust him. So when we have prayer requests, we don't come and say, oh, please, somebody beg God on behalf of this person because I don't know what's going to happen. We never know what's going to happen. We pray to a God who knows everything. And we tell him what we would like to see. And we ask if if it's his will for him to do it. And by faith, we wait to see what he does. Knowing that he delights in answering the prayers of his children. He loves to. Because he loves his children. Got it? Good. Good. What are your prayer requests tonight? Yeah, David.